It is good to be with you. It is good to have you all out as we come together to worship God and to encourage each other in our walk with Him. We'll open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. In just a moment, we'll be reading from the second psalm of that collection. Psalm 2. God rules. He is the sovereign of the universe. He reigns and he judges the affairs of all people. From everlasting to everlasting, God is monarch. He's eternally enthroned in heaven. The earth and all that is in it, including us, belong to God. And it is his will that will always prevail. Now God's purpose stands, and it stands firmly. It does not vacillate between uncertainties because it is securely fastened to God's holiness. And it is fastened to God's justice. And for that reason, we are able to recognize through a study of God's inspired word that the plans of God are good, always good. His plans are righteous. And in his omniscience, he knows. He knows the end from the beginning. All things are laid bare. Bare before his eyes, nothing is hidden from him. God knows. God knows everything. And he has determined appointed times, and he has, has established boundaries. And it is for that reason we recognize that God Almighty has predestined his anointed one to be his king, king of righteousness. As you have read already this evening from John 18, Jesus was born to be king. The king like no other king. The king that is to be loved but and to be feared. The king to be praised and to be obeyed. And so as the bearer of truth, as he expresses there in John 18, what does the truth reveal? What is revealed to us concerning God predestining his king and what or who he would be? With that said, let us now turn our thoughts to Psalm 2. I'd like to take the time to read all 12 verses of the psalm. So please open your Bibles yeah, and read along with me. As you look at God speaking you know, through the penmanship of his psalmist as the spirit guides him. To write this message. Begins. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord. Against his anointed saying. Let us tear their fetters apart. And cast away their cords from us. Now he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, fury saying, But as for me, 
I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled, and how blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the first thing I wanted to bring out of this psalm is the fact that God I am here foretold that his son, his son would be king. Now everything's not going to go smooth in this process as we see God describing here. Because you see this opposition that's being being directed against God. An opposition that's being directed against his anointed one there in the first few verses. But all of that is to no avail. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's king will never prevail. Never prevail against him. Now the carnal-minded... The lovers of this world is described here concerning these nations that are in an uproar and these people that are, that are devising vain things. The carnal-minded of this world, what do they see? They see God's rule over them as some burden. As some burdensome shackle, some fetter that they're trying to cast off of them so that they would be free from God. But all attempts to... Do that is in vain. Whatever efforts they take to usurp God's authority is in vain because God's enemies, the king's enemies, will be shattered like earthenware. And so God reminds us here, particularly there in verse 6, that Jehovah consecrated his son. His son, Jesus, to reign upon his holy mountain. He says, but as for me, I have installed my king. I got my king, folks. And he is going to be king upon Zion. He's going to be king upon the holy mountain of God. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul, as he was going about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, makes reference to, to Christ being king and even quotes from this passage by saying we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus God has kept his word and that is why God through the psalmist could say you know concerning you you know why you're you know why are you nations in such an uproar you know God laughs at their feeble, vain attempts. 
Why is that? Because God fulfills his word. God has fulfilled his promise to his children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. God predestined. God foretold that his son was going to be king. And that king is Jesus. And he's king, ruling from an exalted dwelling place that describes as Zion, a heavenly Zion. Now the kings who ruled the city of Jerusalem of long ago foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah. But even David, David in all of his goodness, in all the commendation that God made him, David fell short of God's glory. He fell short of what God truly had planned. Oh, David was a good king. He was a great king. But he's not this king. He is not God's son whom he's installed and consecrated to be king from Zion itself in heaven. What's kind of interesting when you think about the description of this king to be our king Jesus is the fact that in verse 8, here's this king and God says all things... All things to the ends of the earth are given into his hands. In whose hands? Well, in the I am's king. That king's hands possesses everything. Everything. It is for that reason Jesus could say before he ascended back to heaven in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. God consecrated. God installed his king upon Zion. And it's his son. His son Jesus. And all things are given into his possession. Everything in heaven and on earth. And he has all authority. And that includes... Judging the nations and judging the, the kings and judging the people that describe in Psalm 2. That's part of that. That he, he has possession of everything and he now will break them with a rod of iron and shatter them like earthenware. That's Jesus. The crowned son who is to be worshipped as described there in verse 12. When he says, do homage to the son that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. Literally, that expression, do homage, or whatever expression you have in your version, literally that means to, to kiss the king. He says, we need to be kissing the king. God's king. Why is that? Because he's king, that's why. Everything is in his hands. And so therefore, we should be looking to him and rendering him the homage, the reverence that is due him, due his position, due to his character and his person. For it is in that king alone you have refuge. Refuge is in God's king. Refuge is not in the kings of the world, but in the king of heaven and earth. And why is that? Why, why is the refuge only in this king? Well, it's because this king 
has the authority. That's why. And there is no authority uh, or power on earth that can provide or protect you when all in this world is proven to you to be vain. When all of it comes to an end, who's going to protect you? Who's going to take care of you? Who's going to give you the refuge that you need? God's king. That's who. God predestined Jesus to be. And Christ, our king, stands and outshines all other powers and authorities that have ever existed or ever will be. None will compare to Jesus. We have an amazing king. But God also predetermined that this ruler, his ruler, would be born in Bethlehem. So let's turn our Bibles now over to Micah. Read a couple verses there concerning what God says he would accomplish. The sovereign of the universe, carrying out his purpose and plan and will for the well-being of mankind. He says, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. So you little, that little town over there, Bethlehem, that nothing of a place. says, from you. From this, no, you know, some of this little, little town, not very great. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler. And to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great. Great to the ends of the earth. So here you've got not only the king whom God said is going to be his son. That's who's going to rule. That's who's going to shatter the nations. And that's who's going to give you refuge. He says, okay, this king of mine is going to be born in some little town called Bethlehem, Ephrathah, in the region of Judah. And so... It should not have been surprising to us that Jewish religious leaders, when the wise men from the east come asking about where the king of the Jews you know, was to be, that they directed, him to, they directed them to Bethlehem. Why is that? Because they knew Micah. That's why. Micah had foretold that God had planned that his ruler to be would go forth from the place called Bethlehem Ephrathah. But what about this ruler in Bethlehem? The one that was predestined to be the great ruler to the ends of the earth. One thing I want you to notice, notice here in verse 2 of Micah 5. That is that this one to be ruler as predestined by God himself would rule for God. Look at that again. From you, one will go forth for me, for me to be ruler in Israel. The purpose of this king 
the king that was born in Bethlehem, that we know to be Jesus the Christ, his purpose was not to be one to exalt himself. That's not why he came. He didn't come to exalt himself, did he? He did not come to do his own will either. What did he come to do? He came to do the will of another. He came to glorify the one who made him king. He came on God's behalf. He says, from you, Bethlehem, there will be a ruler to come forth for me. And his existence is from days of eternity. Now, Jesus was going to be born of a woman. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and through 33, you have the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, telling her that she would conceive of the Spirit and give birth to the Son of God. And so, yes, Jesus was born of a woman because that was God's plan of how he would come into this world and partake of flesh that he would become a bond servant to men. But he would be for time itself, though. This ruler, existence is from the days of eternity. Before time began, he was. He is of God. And this one who is of God and of eternal nature, God said, he will be the shepherd. He will shepherd God's people. God Almighty knows that man, you and me alike, that we all are like sheep without a shepherd. Left to ourselves, what are we? We're lost sheep, wandering the, the, the landscape of this globe. And God knows that, and he knew that's the way it would be. And he knew that we're, we're going to need one who is capable one capable of guiding humanity, one capable of feeding humanity, one capable of protecting and providing for humanity. Earthly kings, earthly shepherds have proven themselves time and time again inadequate. Inadequate. Not enough for and at times, they have proven themselves quite negligent. Not just inadequate, but just falling short all around. But not this king. Not this ruler, the one that would come forth from Jerusalem and from the days of eternity. Born of a woman, yes, but he will arise and he will shepherd. He will shepherd God's people, but how will he do that? He will do so in the strength of Jehovah. He will shepherd and pastor the people of God in the strength of God Almighty and in the majesty of the name of God. John 10 tells us about how Jesus 
made the claim that he was and is that good shepherd. The good shepherd who would pasture his people in the might of God, in the name of the Lord, making the necessary sacrifices for the well-being of the sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life. Jesus did what needed to be done. Jesus did what had to be done, and no other one could do it but God's king, God's ruler, who is from the days of eternity. And all those who heed his voice, the king who is a shepherd, all who listen to him and follow him find refuge in the fold of God, in the arms of that shepherd. But also, God I am prophesied that glorious days would come with the coming of this king of peace. Turn back in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9. Let's take a moment and read a few verses there. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden, and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God promised here that days were coming when darkness would be turned to light, sadness would be turned to, to gladness, when a great light shines. When a great light shines upon the Galilee of the Gentiles. And he speaks of the, of the land and the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And that will be the territory that he refers to. A great light's coming, he says. And it will shine into this dark land. And in his presence there will be gladness for all who partake of that harvest. 
But at the same time, he goes on to say that the burdensome yoke of oppression will be broken. That yoke that, and staff that's on your shoulders and the rod of the oppressor, it will be removed from you. But when will this be? This message of hope, when will, when, when will it come to pass? When will it become a reality? Well, when the government of justice and the government of righteousness rests on the shoulders of a son. A son to be born. And so we are familiar there with the prophecy of Jesus. And who he was and is and forever to be. The child, the son, upon whom the government will rest and whose name will be called Counselor, God, Father, and Peace. How will that ever happen? How will that ever be accomplished? Well, verse 7 tells you that the zeal of the Lord, that's how. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of Jehovah will make this happen. That is the passion, the fervency of God Almighty has accomplished and will accomplish what he has ordained. And so today, we sit here below the heavens with Jesus Christ sitting and reigning on the promised throne of David. God made it happen. His son is king. And his son shatters and breaks the yoke of his enemies. And his son shepherds the people of God. And in his son there is refuge and there is peace. You recall the prophecy that Nathan shared from God to David way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. There in verse 12 and 13 when he says, when your days are complete. So basically after you're dead and gone. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. So sometime after you're gone, God says, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something wonderful. I'm going to raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will, I will establish his kingdom. Who's going to accomplish this? The zeal of the Lord. That's how. Because I will accomplish this. Not men. And he shall build a house for my name. The purpose of the ruler, the purpose of the king, is to rule for God. To rule for God's purpose, for God's glory. And so he will establish a house for God's name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that's why... Isaiah, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, by God's direction, would say there in verse 7, there will be no end to the increase, to the increase of his government and the increase of peace. Why is that? Because God's going to do this. God's going to establish this. His son is going to rule. His son's going to be king. And there will be no end to his rule 
the government's increase in peace. Ephesians 2.14 tells us that peace is in Christ. Peace is with Christ. Because Jesus is our peace. Breaking down the wall that divides and reconciling two and making them one. But this peace that we are promised is not the absence of all earthly conflicts. That's not the peace he's talking about. It is the reconciliation with God to whom we must give an account. That's the peace. It is in Christ and with Christ that we find true peace, lasting peace, unsurpassing peace. You won't find that in the affairs of men. You will not find that in the dominions of men, no matter how great and powerful and how controlling they are to keep terrorists or enemies out of your borders. You will not find this peace here. You only find it under the rule of God's king. A king that is described here as one who establishes and upholds righteousness and justice and does so forevermore. Why is that? Because there is no greater power than God. There is no greater power than God's king. He establishes it and he upholds it. And so therefore he is called by these very descriptive names. Names that bear testimony to what? To bear testimony to his origin, to his purpose, to his nature. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. What's that saying? It's telling us, revealing to us who he is. The truth of the matter. That the son is from God. And this son is God. And that this son is omnipotent. And not only is he the great peacemaker because there's no you know, end to the increase of his peace, but also he counsels, he counsels his subjects in the ways of righteousness, in the ways of God. And yes, truly, there is no greater light than the light of God's king shining upon the Galilee of the Gentiles. The great light that penetrates the darkness of this world and brings gladness back into our lives when we find ourselves in his presence. It is for this reason and reasons that Jesus could say there in John 18... For this reason, for this purpose, I was born. I was born for this time. I was born for these events. I was born to testify the truth. I was born to be king. A king that would bring truth to humanity. Truth concerning righteousness. Truth concerning peace. But there will be no true peace in your life until you submit completely to this king. Until we submit, there is no peace for us. There is no refuge for us. That only comes by submitting 
to the king that God consecrated. Submitting to the king that reigns right now in Zion above, eternally enthroned in heaven with his father. Until we make that king the shepherd in our life, whose voice that we listen to every day, there'll be no peace. And there'll be no lasting peace. Do you believe Jesus to be king? Do you believe him to be the son of God who laid down his life upon the cross so that he could shepherd your soul? If you do, you believe him to be who he claims to be. If you believe the truth concerning Jesus Christ but have not begun your life in submitting to him, I encourage you to do that tonight. To encourage you to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is God's son. To repent of your sins and to be buried with him in baptism. To walk in service to the king. If you are one of his subjects, you're a citizen of an unshakable kingdom, but you have strayed from the path. You have been disloyal in some form or fashion to your king. If we can assist you anyway spiritually, make your life right with him again. We invite you, encourage you, please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>